If you have your Bibles, please open with me to 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and then we'll open in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your presence, for Your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank You for Your love and we thank You for Your Spirit that illuminates and guides that path for us. We thank You for that hope of life, that abundant life that we have now. And we thank You that You're coming soon. We ask today a a special blessing upon those who are sick, that You would comfort them, that You would encourage them, that You would touch their bodies. So we thank you for today, for what you have in store for us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like you to go back in time with me for a moment. Think with me that time that you were dating your wife before she became your wife. Think about that maybe us guys, we would put the deodorant on a little thicker. Maybe if you're a little older, you would use high karate. Or one of those other things, and you would not just kind of dab it, but you would dump it. You wanted to smell good. You wanted to look good. You wanted that one that you're meeting really to see that best side, whether it was the best or not. And then one day you got married. And then they saw the real you. What you look like in the morning. What you look like when you come home from work. I go there for this point that sometimes we're not real authentic. We're not real honest. Sometimes we want to be people pleasers. We want people to see just the good and not really who we are. As a Christian, God has called you to be honest, transparent, authentic. What the world needs to see more than anything else is really an authentic Christian. What does Christianity look like in the life of a believer? When he says or she says they're going to do something, do they do it? Are they men and women of integrity are they men and women who really care see last week we we saw what that model church would look like the Thessalonians what they did those that became believers they turned from their idols to the true and living God and they served them they burned their idols they got rid of their their past They were a changed people. They were new creatures in Christ and they were growing in that love and grace. Oh, why they weren't perfect, we know that. But they were making every move they could to be everything that God would have them be. See, today we're going to be looking not at that really that model church, but really maybe that model church. Christian leader. 
please don't think this is just for me. Oh, it is for me too. But you're a leader. Wherever God puts you, you're a leader. Whether it be a husband, a mom, a leader in the workplace. The world's watching, and what they need to see is an authentic Christian leader. One that can say, follow me as I follow Christ. And even if we don't say that, as they follow us, as they watch us, they see Christ Jesus. See, an authentic leader will demonstrate, will reflect true, genuine love. That's what we're going to see in our text today. Genuine love, real love. Not love that's here today and gone tomorrow. Love that never fails. Most of us love 1 Corinthians 13. It's, it's a, a favorite passage in a, at a wedding that especially the women want me to, to read that, to incorporate it in some way. But may it be true in our life. May we be authentic in every way. But we're in a world that is not so authentic. Let me share an illustration how easily it is to be deceived. A pastor shares one evening while I was at dinner with my family, I, I reached for the pepper grinder only to discover that it was empty. My wife got up from her seat, opened the cabinet, proceeded to fill it. However, instead of using peppercorns, she used ground pepper. With a quizzical look on my face, I inquired as to the rationale in using a ground pepper device and then putting ground pepper in it already. She informed me that on the ongoing quest to save money led her to discover that peppercorns were much more expensive than ground pepper. And she said that she had been refilling the pepper grinder with ground pepper for months and expressed surprise that it was the first time that I ever noticed. You see, I thought I was getting the real thing. But in reality, I was getting a cheap substitute. When you were going out with your wife-to-be, your husband, did they get the real thing? Could it be said that what you see is what you get? Not just out in the open that everybody would see, but, but behind closed doors. Authentic is what we need to be. Now here's a question that every church leader needs to ask, whether it be a Sunday school teacher, a worship leader, a pastor, an elder, a board member. Are my people getting the real thing from me? I think that's a question for moms, for fathers, for even employees. Are they getting the real thing? When the veneer is stripped away, when they see what's really left, what do they see in your life, in my life? And especially, I'm going to say with leaders, because that's what we're going to be looking at as leaders. 
Certainly when you've seen the news in the last few years, the pastors that have fallen, pastors who took a stand against something that they said was wrong and only to find out that they participated in what was wrong, but outwardly they had another message. Are we authentic? Are we real? Or do they see really like the Wizard of Oz pulling levers and pushing buttons in the ministry and see something that is really not what they thought, that what they thought was Spirit-led. It's worldly. It's mechanical. See, authentic leaders, as we look in the Bible from time to time, you're going to see that there are many false leaders, false prophets, false teachers, false apostles, many people exalting themselves. And see, that's what it is, is that, that pride causes you and me to exalt ourselves. And we really want people to see that best side of us. Jesus Christ Himself was authentic. He was the real thing. He was the Son of God. He was God in the flesh. He was the Word of God. He was the truth of life. He's the way. And there's no way the Father but through Him. He was authentic in every way. Predictable even how He would act when confronted with someone who was caught maybe in the midst of adultery or caught in some sin. He was merciful and gracious. He, he dealt with the sin, but He didn't condemn them. He offered them hope. He offered them life. And He offered them life abundant. To be set free from the bondage that they're in. When you look at the Old Testament, you look at the Old Testament prophets. And you look at Jeremiah the weeping prophet, thinking that he's the only one left who would not bow a knee to the Lord or Amos or follow those prophets. These, when we look at them, should be mentors in our life that that we're willing to stand bold for Jesus Christ. To be concerned about our walk and how people see us, not to please them, but to please only one person in this life. You have to please. And the question will be then, will you hear those words, good and faithful servant, one day? Like Paul, this is the only way that you and I could ever do that because that's what we're looking at. Is Paul this authentic apostle? Authentic brother in the Lord. Paul had no personal ambitions except for one. That was to honor God. He was his Lord, his master. He lived for him. Paul practiced that that scripture in Luke where Jesus said, if anyone desired to come after me, he must deny himself. Paul did that. He had no personal goals. His goals were to please the Lord. He picked up his cross daily 
And they followed Jesus. And if you would ask him if we could speak to him today and ask him, would you do it again? And he would say, I would do it again and again and again. And I do not regret giving my life to the Lord. Look with me and again, First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. We see Paul's motives. He says, for you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. And I like that because of three times in the text, Paul's going to use that term, you yourselves know. <laughs> I have to ask that question. What do people know about me? What do they think about me? That is in Christ. Am I what I try to live or profess to be? Paul says, look at the example. Look at the life that I led. Look at the fruit in the lives of the people. So he says for you yourselves, no, no personally, no from experience that are coming to you was not in vain. That is empty or without content or without result or, or fruit. Empty of any results or even character. No, Paul's ministry was fruitful. It was the fruit that God produced. Paul brought them the Word of God. And it was changing and transforming their lives. People were being saved, changed, marriages healed. They had this vibrancy in them, excitement about the Lord. And the church was reproducing. That was a work of the Holy Spirit in the people as they submitted to the Word of God, as they, they took the Word of God, not as the Word of men, but the Word of God, which it really was. They believed it. They didn't make excuses for it. They didn't find fault with Paul in that sense about the Word of God. Oh, yes, there were those that would come against him. Whenever God is moving in, you and me, the enemy, will go against you. But the evidence was there. Turn back to the last chapter last week. We looked at chapter 1 and in verses 5 to 8. I just want to remind you, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and the Holy Spirit. Notice with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, and having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, for the word of the Lord had sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that there's no need of, to say anything. Man, they were testimony. Wouldn't you love to have that say about this church here? About your own life, your own family, your own kids? What a statement. This was the, the model church when they simply believed the Word of God and say, use me. Not just saying those words, but meaning, use me. I, I, I give myself completely to you. One of the most amazing things as a, a young child when they give their life to the Lord is if they, there was an offering coming by, they stand right in the middle of the offering and say, 
Lord, take me and use me. I've seen it time and time and time and time again. Childlike faith is what we need, but then we grow up and we lose that childlike faith. And today we need that childlike faith just to believe and just trust in God and lean not on our own understanding. Look with me in verse 2 in our text. But after we, and he's speaking about those men with them, those apostles, those are writing the letter, Silas and Timothy, and, and I believe that there were others there too. We'd already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know. And we had the boldness in our God to speak the gospel of God amid much opposition. See, Paul's saying, my life's transparent. You know what's gone on in my life. You know what I experienced. But I was here. Here's the fruit. Paul and Silas, brutally beaten to a pulp, suffered physically, if you'll remember, in Acts 16, incarcerated they were roman citizens and yet thrown in jail and they shouldn't have been thrown into jail arrogantly mistreated false accusations against them punished again because they you know they didn't know they were roman citizen and even accused of treason that's enough to ruin your day isn't it but at midnight they were singing praise songs to God. The result of that, others were getting saved. Despite all the persecution, despite all the things that were going wrong in their life, Paul did not shrink, Silas didn't, and Timothy didn't from simply sharing the gospel message. They weren't discouraged. And yet, Sometimes, I know in my own life, there was a time when I began to share with people and witness that I got discouraged when they said no, and no, and another one said no, well, why even go if they say no, and quit? Paul just kept telling people about Jesus, no matter what he was going through, it was all worth it. He knew what God had done in his own life. And there was fruit. Look with me in verse 3. We, we see the message, the manner, and even really that method of ministry. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by a way of deceit. See, Paul, Paul carefully chooses three distinctive words to really substantiate to really the, the truthfulness of, of this ministry. And truthfulness, truth is important. Within the body of Christ, sometimes the, they say the result, the, the, the means is, it can be justified as long as we get to the point we want. And I say no, because God does not lie. There is no deceit ever in God, and we do not deceive people. Again, the, the message is true. It's not fake. How could the gospel be fake, false, 
when lives were being changed. See, his manner of life was, it was pure. And they're making accusations, that's the false teachers, about him not sexually being pure. But he was really immoral, they say. His method of ministry, though, was authentic. He, he was pure in life. He was set apart for God. He didn't practice trickery or deception. Impurity, important to understand, destroys the flesh. Impurity will destroy a life. Drinking water cannot be labeled safe if it has one thousandth or just one drop of impurity in water, something that can cause a person sick, and one person dies. They will not bottle it. They will not sell it. But yet people are willing to hear something in pure doctrine, and that's what they were claiming of, something false, a lie, the deceit. And Paul says that's not true. Truth cannot be truth if it's only 98% truth. In the book of Acts, chapter 20, Paul said, I gave you the whole counsel and I kept nothing back from you. Nothing that was good. There was nothing impure. There was no weakness. Anything that would cause you to fail, I gave you the truth. And it's that truth that will set you free. Look at verse 4. For just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak as not pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. This idea of approved by God, it means this testing. He's, he's been tested, and he continues to be ongoing testing. Have you ever noticed that in your life, that, that it's, you, you can't just profess to be a believer and, and everything is fine, just come to Jesus and there's no problems? Has anyone ever found that true? I've never found that true. But life continues to go through a series of tests. One, that you know where you're walking. You know, again, your relationship with God. You know whether you're saved or not. And also that others can see. But let me tell you, as far as a, a, a pastor, a preacher, evangelist, anyone in leadership, even a businessman is the same idea. And again, every preacher of the gospel faces a, a temptation. For the pastor, a temptation to please people. How was that message? Because of her pride. Or to get more people in the church, let's bring in dancing bears. Let's entertain them. Let's not talk about Jesus if it offends someone. And sadly, within the church, the church doesn't even know the truth that will set them free and the truth that they can share with other people to set them free. See, that temptation to gain favor, acceptance, or approval, or even honor, respect, a title, the temptation. Your temptations will be similar in your place to please a boss. And it's so amazing to me that we're so quick to please people that are so fickle one day they like you, the next day they hate you. 
when there's only one person we really need to please, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can ever tell you good and faithful servant. The only one that really knows your heart and knows your ways. Now that verb used here again in that idea to test, to prove, is, it, it means that it was tried and tested. And, and Paul knew that God had accepted. The message came from him. It was taught in Galatians in Arabia, if you remember. It was a message from God. And it's in the... Again, the, the present tense, or the perfect tense, I should say. It meant it was an ongoing test. Life is a test, isn't it? Preparing you and me for all eternity. A place that is wonderful. A place without sin and pain and suffering and death. But more than that, a place where Jesus is. A place that you'll see him face to face. Well, Paul sees himself as having been tried out by God and then tested for service. John 8, 31 and 32 should be on the screen. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who believed him, if you continue in my word, then you're truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Now, I want to go back and, and comment first. If you continue in my word, that's not just the reading of the word, but that's letting the word reside in your heart and motivate you and be obedient. It's a process of growing in him. It's a process of, of growing and failing and confessing and repenting and getting back on it. But that continuance is God is perfecting you. He allows things to come into your life. How will you respond? God's all-knowing. He knows all things. But you don't know how you're going to respond sometimes until you're put in that situation. I know how I want to respond. But remember when Jesus was tested, when he was tempted, and in the end, it says that Satan left him looking for a more opportune time. Oh, isn't that when the trials and the testing come? It's an opportune time for the devil to, to hammer on you. Maybe you've had a fight with your, your friend, your wife, your husband, your kids. Or maybe your boss gave you a check and it bounced, and now your check's going to bounce. The, the testing and in the, in the temptation to do something that is not right. Satan's looking to stumble you. Giving in to temptation as far as for a pastor is, and even for you, is, is really to kind of take the form of tolerating sin. Again, spiritual compromise. Being in a place where the, the Word of God is maybe taught part of the time, but not all the time. How much poison, again, would you want to drink? Or how much poison would you put in your food for your family? You compromise, and little by little, people can drift away. That responsibility upon a pastor, upon a leader, as a, a father, as he is supposed to be that spiritual leader. He's supposed to wash his wife with the water of the word. Or a spiritual unconcern in a, a congregation or family. Paul would say, if he didn't pray, woe to me if I do not pray for you, because he knew he was in sin. Well, you know what? They're trusting in God. They're in the Word. 
as a pastor, I need to pray for you. I need to care and nurture. And everything that I tell you that you go through in life is preparing you for that next step. I think of my time, 25 years in a nursery, raising plants. And one of the things you do when you raise plants, you nurture them. What do I do today? I teach the Word, and I nurture people. What does a father do and a mother nurture their family? Take the Word of God and and bring it and minister to them and comfort them and encourage them. But that compromises what gets you and me. It's just a, a little bit, a little bit off. And little by little, it goes away. Friends of mine moved to Texas many years ago, and, and, and they were in this church, and it was almost nine months before they realized they were in the wrong place. See, so they said all the right buzzwords, but then they found out how they looked at marriage in one particular thing was so unbiblical it did not even line up with the Scripture. Another person was in a church for almost nine months too, and then it came tax time, And the church requested their tax returns to make sure that you're giving the right amount of tithe. And they begin to step back and they begin to think about everything that was being said and they realize they would be in a place that was off for a long time in many areas. Listen to Revelation 20, verse 20. It should be on the screen, by the way, but I have this against you that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. She teaches and leads my bondservants astray that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. The reason I use this verse is because he says you tolerate, and I'm just going to focus on the one idea, false teachers, false prophets. But they say Jesus Christ. They mention the cross. But it's all the other things. And then in Revelation chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, I know your deeds. By the way, he says that to all the church. I, I know the deeds. He knows your deeds. He knows the deeds of this congregation together, an individual. That you're neither cold or hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So that because you're lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Now in this case, he says you're neither cold or hot. Both of these are good, cold and hot. Cold is is not bad. Please understand it. It's not bad in this case. The cold would refer to the cold, frigid water that would come down that would bring refreshment in hot times. And the hot is that, again, that would bring the ministry, the healing, because they would soak in those hot waters in that area. But this church was an unsaved church, yet they had the Word of God taught in it day in and day out. It was not just the pastor, it was the congregation, and they were comfortable in it. And that breaks my heart. Because there are many in churches like that when the Lord comes for us, that will still be sitting in the church. And they've missed that mark. It may also involve a, a really that, that flatters the congregation. 
again, as I mentioned, having entertainment, just, just trying to make you just feel good. Everyone wants to feel good, don't you? It's interesting that, you know, some churches, all they do is make you feel good. And in some churches, all they do is when you get out of church, you feel like beat up. I haven't, I haven't brought anybody to church. I haven't done this. I haven't done that. And there's no balance. That's something that all of us need to struggle in our lives to find that balance. And that balance is in Christ Jesus. And please understand, Paul wanted to the Thessalonians to understand that the source of the conviction and that boldness is really the Spirit of God. It's not my responsibility to convict you. It's not even my responsibility to motivate you. It's simply to bring the Word of God and pray for you, encourage you, and let it be His Word speaking through me. See, we don't speak to please men, but we speak to please God. We speak, again, it says, to speak or please God who examines our hearts. I really dislike it when people come up and say, you know, you're doing this, and they're pointing the finger at you like, I know why you're doing that. They don't know anyone else's heart. It's hard enough to know their own heart. Look at verse 5. It says, for we never came fl- with flattering speech. See, this is what he's being accused of. Okay. As you know, with the pretext for greed, to manipulate them. In fact, he goes on to say, God is our witness. Nor did we seek the glory of men, either from you or from others, even though we're apostles of Christ, that we might assert our authority. He's going to tell us how he came, but he came humbly. He didn't come up as, I'm the great apostle, Paul. You need to listen to me and demand this authority. He didn't say, don't rebuke God's anointed, as many do, and they preach lies and untruth. Paul simply denied being a smooth-talking preacher. He denied that he came with covetousness and greed in his heart. He didn't pretend to be poor and work day and night just only to try and fleece them, to manipulate them and get them later to give. But he worked day and night not to burden them because they were poor people. He didn't use his honor position, again, as I mentioned, as an apostle for personal glory, but only for God's glory. Notice 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether then you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. See, that was his his ministry. That was always his mission. Do to the glory of God. That means even cleaning the toilet bowls you can do to the glory of God. That you do the very best in whatever you do, not comparing yourself to anyone else, but that your heart is right. God, I'm doing this you you don't have to remind him of that but you just do it there's another illustration i'd like to share with you it's it goes on like this the story of a train master who is responsible for a smooth operation of a busy depot in the heart of a crowded city a passerby commended him on his obvious display of grace and tact 
as he juggled these many responsibilities, including answering pastors, or excuse me, passengers' inquiries, giving directions, and maintaining the smooth operation of this depot. How do you do all of this? The passerby says. With so many hurried people, disgruntled and angry, how do you maintain your composure? The train master replied, Why, it's no big deal. I do not have all these people to please. I only have to please just one man. He pointed to the office, to a window on the second floor, and he said, My master sits in the office, and it's he alone that I have to please. Like that, you only have one person you have to please. He's also up above. But he's in the third heaven. He knows the intent of your heart. He's watching you. He's pleased with you when he died on the cross, but he wants to take you further and further in him. Nothing's really more liberating the fact that I don't have to please you. Certainly, I, I want you to be happy with the word of God and being fed, but it's God that we have to please. That's where the focus needs to, to remain. In fact, Look at Paul's manner. He, in verse 7, he, he comes like a, a loving mother. But we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. It's interesting. I, I thought about this, this passage here. And next week we have a guest speaker, and his name is Pat Kenny. I look at this man. I've known him for a while. He's taught with us many years ago. He, he's very gentle, he's very tender. Everything that God has led him through has made him more and more gentle, more like Jesus. More tender, more compassionate, more understanding. This is what God's doing in your life, in my life, making us more like Jesus. Well, again, he says, well, we proved to be gentle among you like a nursing mother. Maybe you remember your wife nursing your kids and looking over and the smile on on mom's face the baby burps and then there's a smile no i you know they never see the baby smile i think they smile they know the love of a mother they know that gentleness and it was quite common in that culture where paul was that, that the poor people and that's who he's ministering to is these were poor people these were down and out people they nursed their own children likens to that and and these nurse maids or even the mothers who were so tender and i'll use the nursemaids for a second were were so gentle and nursing their children when those children grew up they weren't their real mom they would buy them out of their slavery and set them free because they knew that gentle tender love paul lived and nursed these children spiritual children just as a caring mother and see, this is what, what a pastor needs to be is, is have the same heart. The Sunday school teacher, the elder, the board member, the father, the mother, but especially in ministry, a pastor, a missionary, evangelist. You've got to love the people. They're not going to grow as fast as you want them to grow and mature. And you certainly know that by your own children. They're going to blow it, and you've got to be tender and loving and caring. 
And that's the model they saying. He, he was a missionary. He would go to other cultures and communities and other lands, and he was gentle and caring, and he was making sacrifices for them just as a, a mother would to nurture them, to protect them, to meet those spiritual needs and, and, and feed them and edify them and build them up. It was, it was grace upon grace, day in and day out, just nurturing. And you know the sacrifice of a, a mother, and he says, I'm just like that. In fact, you know this. And you know a lot of things, but yet sometimes we get caught up in emotions. The gentleness shows that they did not act, act as important or superior to others and looking down upon them, but they were gentle and helping to fan the flame and grow. And, and missionaries were willing to, to share their lives and sacrifice. And we see that in verse 8. And, and the devoted, the long hours giving of themselves, the extreme weariness, but, but doing it out of love and tender and gentleness. Live holy and blameless life in moral purity and spiritual integrity and devotion to God. Matthew twenty twenty eight says this, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. See, there's our model. There's our example. Jesus came to serve. If Jesus was here today, he would be washing your feet. He would be pouring his life and giving his life away to you day in and, and day out to help you grow, to mature. Look back at our text in verse 8. Having so fond of affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives. He was persecuted, beaten to a pulp, and the next place he comes is, is here. No grumbling, no murmuring. He really wasn't saying, let me tell you what they did to me and try and use it to manipulate. No, he, he would just go, and he would love them and bring the gospel, and they asked, what happened, Paul? And then he would explain. But I like that, but also our own lives. Because you become very dear. When you really love someone, when they're really dear to you, you're going to give yourself to them. I was sharing at the wedding yesterday, and, and there's a passage where I go through a Genesis and explaining that. And, and then I go to uh, another passage, Ephesians, wives submit to their husbands, and you know people get excited. And then I go right to the husband. Love your wives as Christ loves the church, sacrificially. Husbands, I'm going to tell you, if you love your wife as Christ loved the church sacrificially, your wife will do anything for you. She will give her heart back to you. She will serve you. You will be one, not just in flesh, but one in spirit, and you'll be one in Christ together. If a marriage fails, in most cases, this is my own opinion, and it's opinion, the man has not been the godly man that he should be. Second Corinthians 12, look at verses 14 and 15 with me. Here for the third time, I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden to you, for I do not seek what is yours, but you. The children are not responsible to save up for their parents, but the parents for the children. I almost gladly spend and expend for your souls if i love you more he says something interesting 
Am I to be loved less? Now, he's speaking to the Corinthians here in this context, and, and the more he loved them, the less they, they showed love. In fact, they had attacked him. But what did he do? He kept loving them and nurturing them no matter how they acted. He kept imparting and giving his life away. That's the leader. That's the husband. That's the, the wife to the, the kids. It's the sacrificial life. Well, look with me in verse 9. For you recall, brother, in our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Paul was a tent maker, if you remember. And every rabbi, you know, and he was looking to be a rabbi when he was young, they would train him in a, in a practical ministry, and that's a physical thing, how to supply the needs for yourself. A tent maker was, tents were made out of leather, and that's what he would do. And what a platform, by the way. You come to him, and you want a tent made, and you're talking to the apostle Paul. He would tell you all about Jesus. Tell you what God's done in his life. But he did this. So these poor people wouldn't have to give. But he gave for them. It was an opportunity to serve God and an opportunity to serve man. Look at 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 and 2. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given to the churches of Macedonia that in a great ordeal, affliction, and abundance of joy they had deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of liberality. These people were very, very poor. In fact, in, in this area, some of them are still today, it, it's a depressed economy there, especially today. They didn't have anything to give, but they gave. Kind of like the widow with the mite. She gave her all. This is what Paul was doing. He was giving his all himself for the people. Because of God, he wanted to honor God, too. He wanted them to know the God that he knew. Look again at 1 Thessalonians in our text, but jump down to verse 13. For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accept it not as the word of men, but the, what it really is, the word of God which performs this work in you who believe. See, Paul was so sure of the word of God, if he just bring them the word of God, the Holy Spirit would take that word and work in them and set them free. So that's why he worked the long hours. That's why he worked day and night. Extreme toil and hardship. Not only him, but Silas and Timothy. And they supported themselves preaching too. See, he did this all that he could preach the gospel of Christ. The gospel, the good news of, of God. The Word of God has a, a authority and truthfulness. Authority that when you're, you're reading it, you come like a child that it speaks to you. It convicts you where you need to be convicted. It's true. You can count on it. You can rest on it. You can depend upon it. Focused upon the deity of Christ, who He is. He's the second person that God had. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the Redeemer. 
sinfulness of mankind and depravity of man. I remember one time I'd, I was, had an opportunity to sit in a class, and it was a bunch of pastors. I wasn't a pastor at the time. And, and the man came out, and he turned to the crowd. I want to tell you, you guys are a bunch of sinners. Boy, you just felt good, hey? He says, now we got that out. Let me tell you what God has done. See, until you recognize that you're sinners in need of grace, there could be no change. Do you recognize what he's done for you and me? There's going to be no change. The same man one day, as he was at church. He was walking along, and a man comes up next to him, and he, he's, the man's crying. Uh, um, he comes up, and he says, you know, um, my, my, my wife has left me. And this pastor keeps going. He says, you know, praise God. And the guy goes, what do you mean praise God? He said, you loved her as Christ loved the church, didn't you? And the man began to really sob and cry. He knew he was wrong. He knew he had not loved her as Christ loved the church. Now this man was ready to hear the word of God. That man then confessed, repent, went back, and that marriage was healed. See, confronting people with their depravity and sinfulness, and you recognize that, then you can understand that good news and the hope. The words are here, everything you need for life and godliness. You just have to believe it. Take it as the word of God. The authority is not in that person. It's not in a pastor. It's not in a, even a parent. The, the authority is in the very word of God. That's what Paul would bring them. Paul preached the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul preached salvation was by grace through faith, not a works. Lest any man boast. Paul gave them the whole counsel of God's word. Look down at verse 10 for a second. Look, this is walk. Your witnesses and so is God, how devoutly, uprightly, blamelessly we behave toward you believers. Don't believe what others say. Look to what you know. A person's walk, his body language, all these things reflect who he really is inside. Are we those kind of people? Do we reflect that? If your heart is changing, it will show in an outward way. Paul would refuse to accept any misguided view that some Christians believe that the sin covering of the sacrifice of Christ was sufficient to forgive us but not sufficient to totally free you from sin. See, if you sin today, you have given in to sin. There is the power in the Word of God when you go to the Holy Spirit to change you and transform you. And yes, it is a process. But you have the Spirit of God living in you. And He will take that Word of God and work in you and, and change you. The teaching that they were teaching is false. He simply brought the truth that would set them free.
Some have gone on to say that Christians will never sin. But they do sin. We're still in unredeemed flesh until that day. And God's power is sufficient for us to overcome and remain free from sin if we're willing to rely upon the Word of God and the Holy Spirit to teach us. 2 Corinthians 13.1 is, is kind of springboard where he came from. And this is the third time I'm coming to you. Every fact is to be confirmed, a testimony, two or three witnesses. See, it wasn't just one person. It was the whole group of people. You know. You know what I've taught. You know how I lived. You know what I've done. You know how I've got down with you and, and loved you and nurtured you. And 2 Corinthians 1.12 says this. For our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience. That in holiness and godly serenity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in this world, especially toward you. Look at how we act. Look how we live. And that's something that you and I should be able to say. Look at how a Christian lives. And when you blow it, you say, I'm sorry, no Christian should act this way. Please forgive me. And by God's grace, I will not do that again. Verse 11. Now his words, we see just as you know, he's following the same thought. You guys know, you're aware of these things. How we've been exhorting, encouraging, and employing each of you as a father would with his own children. Paul uses these three ideas again. Now, Paul dealt with each of the believers personally, individually. How did he do it? Well, first of all, Paul encouraged them. He built them up, discipled them as, as new believers. Second, he comforted them, and Paul exhorted them. It's done individually, and it's done in a congregation as well, in a Bible study as well. Again, in 1 Corinthians 14, 3, I'm reading from the New King James. It may be different than up there. But he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort. Amen. Now, the word prophesies here, that's one who's speaking the word of God, speaking forth the word of God. Not foretelling, but forthtelling. Every message that you and I speak, whether it's a Bible study or whatever, should have these three elements. It should be encouraging. People should be encouraged. If their ears are open listening to God, second, they should find comfort. And third, there needs to be an exhortation. You need to do something when you leave. Not what I think, but what does the Word of God say? That's what Paul's saying. That's what he did with them. You, you know. And those that listen, it saw in their life. Pastor Warren Worsby tells a letter that he received from a radio listener one time who thanked him for the encouragement of the messages and she had heard. When we go to church, she wrote, all of our pastor does is scold us and whip us. We really get tired of this. It's refreshing to hear some of the words that are encouragement. Paul always would encourage. And you know what? You, if you're looking at Paul's studies, you'll find that when there's, he always focuses on the good first, and those things you need to work on later. It's not good and bad. Someone ever come up and say, do you want the good information first or you want the bad? No, there's not bad. Really, there's good and there's an opportunity to change. Verse 12, so that you walk in a manner worthy of God 
who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. The walk. How is your walk with the Lord? Is it authentic? Is it real? Could people look at you and say, there's what a Christian should look like. They know what you believe and they know what you don't believe. Did they see you loving and gracious and kind and tender? Sadly, non-Christians often dismiss the, the claims of the gospel, pointing to a, a lack of integrity among unbelievers. I mean among believers. Sometimes we, 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 we profess all these different things and live in a total, total different life. It ought not be in our lives. And they're quick to ridicule, especially TV evangelists, preach the gospel out of their own selfishness, praise and financial gain. But we must hold to the integrity of the gospel. See, that's what Paul's doing. That's what makes a, a model leader is one who holds to the integrity of the truth, the gospel, following the example just as Paul did. And if I were to just lift out a few things and just pull it together and close with this, is he was gentle and he was tender. Power under control. He was loving. He lived sacrificially for those that he was serving. He was like a nursing mom. And finally, he was like a nurturing father. See, this is what an authentic leader is to look like. Whether it be the apostle Paul, a pastor, evangelist, a father, a mother, Sunday school teacher, a manager in a business. These are the things that the world needs to see. They need to see authentic Christian. May that be true of us. May we live that authentic life. Would you stand with me, please? Father, that is our desire today, that we truly would live that authentic life, a life that brings glory and honor to you. Lord, so we ask that you would work in our hearts, that you would change us and transform us, that you'd give us new desires that we've never, ever had before. And Father, we thank you for all that you did and all you will do. In Jesus' name, amen.